The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, you got P Nate Pootie in the studio again this week. We have Ben Emery with us. Like it or not, <laughs> and the feedback was overwhelmingly not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. <laughs> teasing. As always, in Garage Mahal with Dave, the sound wizard. Yeah, the guy who makes us sound good. The guy who does all the work. Really, let's really? be honest. Let's be honest. Yeah. And we're here again with week four of our parable series. Hope you guys are enjoying it. If you haven't listened to the others, I recommend. We never do this, but stop. Go listen to the other episodes. Come back. You're back now and enjoy the rest of this episode. <laughs> How are well, you guys doing have, today? Uh, I'm doing great. Fantastic. There you go. Um, for those of you who haven't listened to last week's episode, you should. But um, Ben is uh, part of the Rebel team. Uh, so Ben does some blog posting. He also does some editing of our blogs. He posts them. He does some website work for the Rebel Alliance. Um, uh, a lot of the social media editing and posting and all that kind of stuff. So Ben is definitely part of the Rebellion. Has been, I guess it's been a few months now, eh? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, something something in the realm of months. <laughs> more than weeks, we'll <laughs> yeah, say. More, more than, than weeks, weeks, less than years. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, and Ben is also a pastor at Northside Baptist Church, which is just uh, about an hour up the 401, uh, which for you Americans is our biggest highway. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got, the road in Canada. Yeah, it's, it's a road in Canada. It's got a couple lanes for cars, uh, one for carpooling, one for dog sleds. <laughs> so... <laughs> terrible all the stereotypes uh, yeah are just people confirmed. probably believe it yeah um so ben's here with us thanks for being with us ben um appreciate that thanks for making the drive anytime anytime there you, you go say anytime record sorry noted noted, noted. It's, it's, on the record. it's on the record. all right i wrote that down <laughs> i have uh guys i'm not gonna lie to you I have a rebel news item that I am so excited to get your opinion on. Okay. This is for real. This is not. So this is an article from vice already good. Already. It's we're already good. Okay. Awful. This is, this is for real. Okay. The, uh, the headline of the article is ecosexuals believe having sex with the earth could save it. The tagline underneath the headline is from skinny dippers to people who have actual intercourse with nature ecosexuality is a growing movement taking a new approach to combating climate change so as you all know <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't want to get <laughs> i don't want to get too r-rated here but can somebody can somebody explain to me what actual intercourse with nature i you know what? The article doesn't even say. It, it leaves that up to your imagination. And I, and, and, I appreciate and that. I, yeah. And I would hope that you don't allow your imagination to run too rampant. But um, so here, here, I'll just read snippets of the article here. If you happen to find yourself in Sydney this week, you have the unique opportunity to have sex with the earth. <laughs> 
literally how it starts. You just need to stop by the Ecosexual Bathhouse, which is currently part of the Sydney Liveworks Festival of Experimental Art. The bathhouse is an interactive installation created by artist Lauren Cronmeyer and Ian Sinclair of Pony Express, who described their work to me as a, quote, no-holds-barred extravaganza meant to dissolve the barriers between species as we descend into oblivion. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a girl who's involved in this named Jennifer Reed. Um, she's a PhD and, um, uh, sociologist professor at the university of Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, and she is writing her, she wrote her dissertation on ecosexuality and says that a number of people who identify as ecosexuals have increased markedly in the past two years. Google search data confirms that intersect, uh, that interest in the term has spiked dramatically over the next couple of years. So ecosexuality is a term with wide-ranging definitions, with ver- which vary depending on who you ask. Um, there's another um, professor, this one in Sydney. Her name is Amanda Morgan, uh, who essentially, uh, I, I won't read this because it gets a little bit more graphic than we've already been. <laughs> can, can, I just, um, can I just interject for one second? No, 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 you can't. The yeah. look on people's faces <laughs> yeah, <I know>. is <laughs> Seriously. So, uh, so this, uh, this Amanda Morgan, who's a, a professor at the university in Sydney, Australia, who's involved with this whole thing, uh, she t- basically talks about climate change and the irreversible effects of climate change and how we've tried to limit greenhouse gases, uh, use less plastic, and that that has proved unsuccessful. And so basically... So now um, we have to have sex with... So so basically now what she's saying is that, that makes sense. Um, and so she says, and this is a quote, um, um, allowing positive energy to flow through us into the earth may be what the earth needs in, in order to reverse the detrimental uh, effects of climate change. She basically goes on to say that, that nothing, <laughs> nothing transfers positive energy quite like intercourse. So, so basically, let me just sum this up for anybody who's just laughing over everything I said. Which should be all of you. <laughs> um, that there are people who in kind of remote places that are a uniquely beautiful um, environmental areas, people either have intersex with the earth itself, I don't know how that works, um, or have sex with each other in these places in order to transfer positive energy to the earth to help heal the earth from all the, the um, damage that humans have done. And these people are called ecosexuals. That's, wow. re- that's Rebel News. Can we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. What do you think, guys? <laughs> Whew. Catch my breath. Um, I mean, uh, if it wasn't so sad, it, it, I mean, it, it, it is hilarious. It, it's hilarious in its own right, but, it, it, but it's... it's um, <laughs> heartbreaking. It's terrible. It's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it's, it's nothing short of a, of a return to... It, it's, it's just straight ancient paganism. paganism. Yeah. Uh, uh, just removing all distinctions between male and female, between human and animal, between animal and plant, between a- anything, right? And, and, and I mean, and it, and it makes sense. It's logical, right? If, if we're all, uh, you know, just stardust that turned into, right, from, what, what is it, from, from the goo to you or, yep. um, you know, so uh, if, if that's your worldview, I guess, um, but uh, yeah, it's something. Go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> you just look like you're busting at I the just, seams. I just 
there's so many things I want to say. Um, the main thing, this is like, this is climate change gone haywire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, maybe if we just stop, you know, banging the earth, <laughs> like, then maybe we wouldn't have as much problems with the, the heat rising and all that stuff. Maybe the earth's just really upset about all the people raping it because it can't consent. <laughs> so, like, how can all you, like, snowflakes who are doing this... Like possibly, so, like, cause you know, it's all the same people so, being like, you gotta so love everybody. How does the earth consent to you banging it? So you're saying mother earth is, is me tooing right now? <laughs> mother earth is, that's why climate change is happening. The, the, the polarized cats are melting because oh. mother earth's a little bit upset. Rightly so. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, I'll say a couple of things. Um, one, one that's just going to be biblical. The other is going to be hopefully biblical, but also controversial. <laughs> um, okay. So let me just read Romans chapter one, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What we're seeing is the, I hope, I mean, who knows? People are always inventing worse ways to sin, <laughs> but we're kind of seeing the depths of a Romans one culture of God giving us up to debased passions and debased darkened minds. Um, I mean, this is, this is gone. I, I think they admitted as much in the article, uh, uh, something about the, them descending into oblivion. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, you dude, got it. Me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, we would say amen, yeah. you know? And so, but so I think what we're seeing is a Romans one culture. And if, if you need any, you know, any proof that the Bible is true, um, read that article and then read Romans one and you'll see exactly what happens here as the sexual revolution continues to spiral out of control. The second thing I'll say that that might be a little controversial is I, I, I know you're being completely facetious there, Chris, but I'm going to partially agree with you. And, and here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that there have always been physical consequences by God for sexual sin. And for like when when Israel sinned, what happened? Crops didn't grow, right? Plagues came, right? Famine. And so I, I say that to say, no, Mother Earth isn't me doing. Mother <laughs> Mother Earth is not real. The Earth was created by God, and God brings judgment throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, he brings, but even, even in, um, even in, in Acts, Agabus talks about a famine that was going to come on Jerusalem. And, and, uh, you see it with Moses when, when Moses is trying to get Pharaoh to let them go when Pharaoh's sinning and not obeying what God's commanded, how does he, how does he punish him? Most of those are environmental. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I look at this and I say the, a culture that is sinning so grievously sexually is going to, and, and murdering its babies and uh, hating God and tolerating all kinds of evil is going to be judged by God in a variety of different ways, including environmental. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, so, sorry, yeah. go well, ahead. Well, just, I mean, the, the world was cursed in the first place, yeah. not for anything it did. That's right. Because of us. Because of what we did. And there's, exactly there's, a, right. there's a reason that it currently still is groaning. 
That's right. Because of us. Right. <laughs> because of our sin. Right. And, and interestingly, what does Romans 8 say? It says that all creation is gro- uh, groaning, awaiting, not the day when we would, you know, get busy <laughs> <laughs> with it, <laughs> but groaning for the day that the sons of God would be manifest. That is, when, when we begin to walk in the newness of life that is available through Jesus Christ and start interacting with the world, living in the kingdom, taking care and taking dominion as we were biblical original dominion, biblical yeah. dominion as we were originally mandated to do that's what nature is groaning for it that's what it's groaning for it's not it's not waiting to get frisky with us and so it it's just it, it's just so backward you know we are not going to heal the earth by Bang having sex out. with it we are also not going to and here's the other thing we're also not going to heal the earth by having a smaller carbon footprint now, don't get me wrong. Christians ought to be the best environmentalists, right? Like we ought to be taking care of the earth because God gave us the earth to take dominion over. That means not. That means to care for. That means, you know, literally the word, uh, I think Erica brought this up on uh, an Awakening Reformation podcast recently, that the term husband, right? Like the, men, the, the husband is supposed to care for his wife. The term husband itself is, is is a gardening term husbandry right it's 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 to care for and to nurture and to help we're supposed to bring the potential out of not just our spouses but the earth that god gave us to take dominion over so we ought to be taking care of it but what's going to heal it isn't just a smaller carbon footprint it's walking faithfully in the law of god so uh don't don't be an ecosexual ben i guess that's what i'm saying moral of the story (laughs) Oh man, what a what a world! <laughs> yeah, what a have world. fun with that one, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs> You've seen those signs and billboards saying, advertise here. Now your commercial can be heard right here. The Rebel Podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? rebelalliancemedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmers. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. All right, we're back. Hopefully you had some time to regroup after that uh, wonderful Rebel News. Uh, We're going to continue through our parables series, uh, and we're still in Matthew 13. So just uh, uh, as way of introduction, we are going through the parables of Jesus and essentially talking about how understanding the parables better help us to engage culture better. Uh, And so uh, we think that the 
parables are uh, kingdom parables about the kingdom of God. And the more we understand the kingdom of God, the better equipped we are to engage within that kingdom, our kingdom against the kingdom of darkness, which is essentially what cultural engagement is. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, then uh, you'll you'll kind of that'll all sound relatively familiar to you. So as we work our way through Matthew 13, and just again contextually, Jesus is is in the middle of kind of teaching his disciples what the kingdom of God is actually like. It's not the kingdom that they thought was going to come, where it was going to come all at once, ready to go with a conquering king like David, who's going to overthrow Rome, uh, but it's going to come as a mustard seed. And we'll we'll get to that one next week. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, kind of gives us um, a look at how does someone come into the kingdom of God, and that is through Jesus Christ, who is ultimately the good soil and who gives good soil, that is, good hearts to people and brings them into the kingdom one person at a time. So now we get the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, most of us will be reading out of the ESV that just calls uh, the tares the weeds, um, but it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, I'm going to get Pudi to read it. You can read uh, through to 30, and then we'll read the answer key for this one as well, because Jesus actually helps us understand this one a little bit. So starting in verse 24, go ahead, Chris. Wonderful. He, being Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell you, tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so there's, uh, there's the parable itself. And once again... Uh, the disciples, and, and remember that Jesus said all this in, in, earlier on in the chapter, uh, he actually said that he speaks to people in parables so that there would be many who don't understand. So essentially that they would have to come to Jesus to, to understand these parables. And so once again, just like last week with the parable of the sower, we see the disciples come to Jesus to ask for help understanding this parable. So why don't you start in verse 36, Chris? In 36, and then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of the Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of this kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So... We're about to kick the parable series off in a high gear. <laughs> um, hopefully, I, we've gotten some good feedback. Hopefully, you're enjoying it so far. But I think this is one of the most misunderstood parables of all of Jesus' parables. 
So um, either one of you, whoever's ready to answer, how would you say the average North American evangelical understands this parable? What's this about? I think the average North American person thinks that this would mean that there's people who look like Christians who are just living among us. And at the end of the age, at the end of time, when the rapture or whatever comes, God will harvest the good people and throw the rest into the furnace. So into hell at this point, good people will go one place, bad people will go another place at the end of all time. At the end of history. At the end of history. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? No. <laughs> That's pretty much what they think. <laughs> he summed it up. Um, I, I would just add that I think um, this parable has also, I think, been misunderstood to mean that Christians shouldn't call out non-Christians because um, we don't want to tear we right we don't want to tear out the tears because Jesus says don't tear them up until the end. I'll judge hearts. Yeah, you this, don't judge this hearts. would be a pushback almost against what we've done previous weeks yep. of the series about us calling out people like Bruxy Cavey and Stephen Furtick. Right. People saying you're you're doing more harm because and they would use this text yes. as a pushback against us calling the wolf the wolf. That's right. So those are kind of the two, what I would say, huge misconceptions about this is like, number one, it's about the end of history. It's, it's, it's when Jesus returns to judge the wheat and the tares, to judge the, the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, and number two, it's, uh, it, it, it gives warrant to the idea that we ought not to call out um, those who are goats among sheep, right? We'll say it, we'll say it that way. Mixing, I, mixing metaphors a little Mixing bit. metaphors, sorry, but uh, using all different uh, analogies of Jesus. So um, I don't think it's about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, um, Nate. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, what's interesting, so uh, the parable itself is, is really interesting, right? So uh, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, so he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Right again, these are all kingdom parables. He's teaching his disciples about what the kingdom looks like, and in that kingdom, um, it, he says, if, as you incorporate his answer key, that the the son of man came and he sowed seed, which is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy is who sowed them is the devil. So we'll just ask those of us who know a Bible, our Bible a little bit: Who did Jesus call? Sons of the devil. Anybody remember? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And here he legitimately just says that uh, the ones who are bad seeds are the sons of the evil one. And the evil one is the devil. So it's interesting that, you know, you can make that comparison pretty quickly. Verse 39, he says, the harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are angels. So if angels are coming and, and, and ripping people up, that sounds like the end of human history, does it We're not? Done. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's that all over. It must be the end, right? So talk to me a little bit about age and angels. Anybody? Well, if we're looking at this in terms of the ages, I think... We, we would all approach scripture with a preterist view. So the end of the age, he's talking about the end of the Jewish age. He's not talking about the end of all time, of all, of all creation. He's talking about the end of this age that they're currently living in, which is the Judaic age. If I said that right, I think I did. I think he did. <laughs> and so what he, I think he's, what he's referring to is the fact that there would be Jewish people, because that's who he's talking to right now, Jewish audience, that would someone who would be in Christ and some who are not in Christ but they look the same on the, on the, on the surface. And he's talking about 
when, and I'll let you talk about it because I know you want to talk about that. When this age ends, so the Jewaic age, when it ends, what happens at that point and what that's going to look like. And I think this is a parable of something that's about to happen about eh, 40-ish years from now. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Okay. So let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. Always a good idea. Um, Matthew chapter 23, the end of it. So Matthew, in in many ways, we're in Matthew 13 in this parable, but Matthew, in many ways, one of the major overarching stories of the book of Matthew is the culminating conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it comes to a head in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus begins to pronounce all kinds of woes on the Pharisees after calling them to repentance many times throughout the book of Matthew. For, uh, chapter 23 comes, and this is where he says, you know, on your heads will fall, you know, the innocent bloodshed of all the prophets, yada, yada, yada. Verse 37, he says, <clears throat> Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house, that is the the house of Jerusalem, shall be left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, chapter 24 starts, and this is where sometimes, I mean, the chapter and chapter breaks can can sometimes throw some Christians. But remember, this is one story that, that uh, Matthew is telling. He didn't intend for there to be chapter breaks where there are t- chapter breaks. Well, it was intended to be read in one. That's right. So immediately after he says that, Jerusalem, your house will be left to you desolate. Well, everybody would understand that the house of Jerusalem he's referring to is the temple. And the disciples also understand that because then chapter 24 starts, Jesus left the temple, that's where he was, speaking of of the temple itself, and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So they're basically saying, what do you mean it's going to be left to you desolate? Like, like, look how pretty it is, right? (laughs) That's essentially what they're saying. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he's talking about the the temple itself being destroyed. And then notice what happens. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, so if if you've ever been in Jerusalem, you recognize that's actually not that far of a walk um, from the Temple Mount um, up to the Mount of Olives. It's not a very far walk. So they they likely went, left the Temple Mount and went straight over to the Mount of Olives. And it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Notice that there's been no indication of a passage of time. It doesn't say later on after they traveled such and such. They just went over to the Mount of Olives. Tell us when these things will be. Well, what things? Context matters. You know, when is the temple going to get destroyed, in other words? Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the close of the age? So they recognize that the destruction of the temple indicates a close of the age. So when you say that that the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares is about the end of the Judaic age, I think letting scripture interpret scripture, what we're saying is that the disciples recognize that when Jesus said the temple is going to be destroyed and left desolate, that would be the end of an age. Well, what age would that be? Well, for years, sacrifice and worship for the Jewish people has centered around the temple. And so when the temple's destroyed, they recognize that would be the end of this age. That would be the end of the priesthood as we know it. That would be the end of sacrifices as we know it. That would be the end of the Jewish age as we know it. They understood that. And then Matthew 24 goes on. And and for all of us who are here, we believe that this was all about the destruction of the temple with the Romans in 70 AD. So for those of you who might be hearing this for the first time, 
Your mind just blew. <laughs> for those of you who are hearing this for the first time, this view is called uh, preterism. We would all, I think, we would all, we would all uh, identify here as partial preterists, which simply means that we believe Jesus is going to come back. He's going to rule on this earth. Um, but we believe that um, uh, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD is primarily um, what is prophesied in Matthew 24 and elsewhere in the New Testament when it talks about the end of the age. We're not talking about the end of human history. We're talking about the end of the Jewish aeon, the Jewish age. And I think one of the things that we would have to recognize is we just have to put ourselves in the mindset of the people of that age. For generations, for generations now, they have been taught that worship and sacrifice revolve around the temple in Jerusalem. Several points throughout the year, no matter where you lived as a Jew, you would have to pilgrimage to Israel to offer sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. You recognize that God himself dwelt in the Holy of Holies within the temple. Like the temple was the center of your worship and, and, and the, the um, sacrifice that was offered on your behalf on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, was the sacrifice that ensured you of your cleanliness before God. So they recognize if the temple's not there, these sacrifices aren't there, the priesthood isn't there, who advocates for us before God? Who mediates between man and God? And now you can start to see where I'm going with this, right? Is that um, the temple had to be destroyed. The temple had to be destroyed because Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. Jesus was our high priest and G is our high priest. And Jesus came to make us a priesthood of believers. And so the, the priesthood as they knew it had to be destroyed so that we could all be priests. The temple had to be destroyed because we are all now temples of the Holy Spirit. So the Jewish age had to end for the Christian age to begin. And that's what I think this parable is all about. We all tracking? So far, so good. So far, so good. Okay, so if that's if that's what we're saying the parable of the wheat and the tare is all about, now let's kind of go through and, and put some of these pieces together. So I would ask, who then are the wheat and who are the tares at the close of the age? What do you think, Ben? At, at the close of yeah, the so Judaic age. Yeah, the sorry. So, the so if this is about the harvest, right? The harvest that he's talking about, the angels that come that that take up the the weeds and, and burn them and and leave the, the good wheat. Um, if that's happening at the end of the age, which we're saying is 70 AD when Rome, and, and just for a very brief history lesson, um, I would recommend the book... Um, Jewish Wars? Uh, well, yeah, Josephus' Jewish Wars. What's the one by uh, Kenneth Gentry about? Before Jerusalem Fell. Before Jerusalem <clears throat> Fell, that's the one. So Before Jerusalem Fell, I think, is probably the best, like, succinct. It's bit not of a, that bit succinct. Bit of a slog, it's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> not that succinct. <laughs> for Nate, for the rest of you, there's yeah. Cole's notes. <laughs> yeah. They're actually, sorry, there is a really, there is a really short one called um, Is Jesus Coming Soon by Gary DeMar. That's actually really, really. A couple chapters in Paradise Restored. Par yeah, a couple, are, a couple there as well. Um, Lies, Myths, and Half Truths by Gary DeMar. There's, uh, or you could watch our Revelation series. Yeah, actually, yeah, good yeah, point. Like good point. There's episode one and two. <laughs> two, yeah. two. yeah, there you Give go. Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. So our eschatology series, which you can find at rebelliancemedia.com, walks through this whole point of view. So I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but essentially, in 70 AD, 
um, Rome uh, marched on Jerusalem and just completely laid waste to the entire city. Uh, we believe Jesus prophesied it in, in Matthew 24. Uh, it took place when uh, Rome completely destroyed Jerusalem. And what's really interesting is that the very words of Jesus, that not one stone would be left on another, literally came true because one of the ways that Rome sieged Jerusalem is by tossing flaming catapults into, um, into the city. And um, the temple caught fire in such a way that all of the gold that was part of the temple, because this was uh, built by Herod the Great, um, a lot of the gold um, melted down into between the actual stones of the temple. So when Titus came in, he actually ordered that every stone... Every stone be taken off so that the gold that was in between the the stones could be scraped off. So, like literally, the words of Jesus um, uh, fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus fulfilled to the word. But so, if that's what we're saying, seventy or the end of the ages, who do we think the wheat and the tares are talking about? So, are we saying believing and unbelieving Jews, or more specific than that? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that. Sorry, I was just that the wheat would be the the Christ following Jews, yeah, and the darnel, the wheat, the tares, however we want to call it, those would be the non Christ following Jews. Yes, not absolutely. just the Pharisees, all of them. Right. So, and I think what's interesting is that so, like we said, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So when he says the weeds are the sons of the evil one, we know that elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus has specifically said to the Pharisees, "You are of your father, the devil." And he says, they're sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So then he's talking about the Pharisees and essentially the Pharisees who led. Represent the nation. Represent the nation. That's exactly right. And essentially were working against the kingdom of God in terms of trying to keep Jews Jewish as opposed yeah. <laughs> to allowing them to uh, become Christians. And you can follow uh, Josephus in uh, in the Jewish Wars does a really good job at um, at kind of breaking down historically just the immense persecution that was happening, uh, Christians being persecuted at the hands of the Jews, um, and and he and, isn't a Christian, so like yeah, he's not a Christian. It, this is... you'll be shocked at how much it makes sense, and he's not even writing this. From uh, like a, a biased perspective. That's right. And so uh, when he talks about the, the weeds being rooted up and, uh, and burned in the fire, he's, he's, I, I think this is a metaphor for being swept away in judgment, being destroyed. And what's interesting is, is this just matches with all kinds of things you hear throughout Scripture. Remember when Jesus said, um, or when John the Baptist said, uh, one is coming who will baptize you both with water and with fire. And he wasn't, he wasn't the fire. He's not talking about the tongues of fire at Pentecost. He's not talking about a subsequent baptism to the baptism of salvation. He's talking about the water baptism. That is the sign of the new covenant and baptism in fire. That is the, the destruction of Jerusalem at the end of the age. This goes to Matthew 24, where a lot of Christians read in some sort of rapture theology. We wouldn't hold to that. This is where it says, just like in the days of Noah, right? Um, so to one will be taken and one will be left. Well, in in the story of Noah, you want to be left yeah, behind. You don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to be taken you away. You don't want to be taken. You don't want to be swept away in the waters of judgment. And so, to hear what we're seeing is that the the weeds are torn up and taken away, swept away, burned away, whatever metaphor you want to use, and destroyed. And what's left there is the wheat. 
Um, so I think that's primarily what this um, passage is about. But there's there's a couple other things that I think are really interesting to note here. So what are some other things I, that we, we said last week that these uh, parables are multifaceted? What else can we glean from this? God's wrath. <laughs> um, I, I One of the pushbacks we often get, this isn't specifically about this parable, but about the New Testament versus the Old Testament, how it's different, like somehow that God has changed, that God's wrath is no longer prevalent against those who aren't in him. And this, I think this is a great, this is a great parable. And when you start reading this, you understand that God's wrath is coming for everyone who isn't in Christ depend no, no different than it was in the old Testament. The difference now is that there's some that Christ is just like before some that Christ has pulled for himself, that he's kept for himself. God's judgment and wrath is coming for everybody. Yeah. So I think that's one thing I think people don't necessarily read the read the New Testament thinking with God's wrath in mind, and this is this is a place where I think you need to. So, just uh, as as a way for some of our listeners, when it says that um, the if so if we're, if if we believe that this is about the uh, close of the Jewish age and the destruction of the uh, temple, my question would be. Um, why, when Rome marched on Jerusalem, uh, was it that the Jews were killed in Jerusalem, but the Christians weren't? Because the Christians listened. Yeah, because in, in Revelation, <laughs> they're, they're told to scatter. They're told to go to the hills. They're, tro- they're, tro- they're told specifically to get out of the city, right? Yep. And it's interesting in the parable, you see the weeds stay in the field to be burned where the, the wheat is thrown in the barn. It's taken away. That's right. And so like it's, there's there's illusion and symbolism that we're, that when you read Revelation, the, the Jewish people who are listening to those Jewish ears are going to hear that it's us looking back from with our New Testament ears don't necessarily pick up all the signs until we start using the Bible to interpret it, right? Right. Um, in, uh, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, uh, he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, uh, then let those who are in Judea flee, flee to the mountains. So what's so interesting historically, first of all, um, abomination of desolation is, has given a lot of people pause. Um, if you can, if Again, if you let the Bible interpret the Bible and you go to the Olivet Discourse in Luke, he actually says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. <laughs> so what is the abomination of desolation? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. It's, the, it's Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. And uh, it says, when you see that, flee to the mountains. So what's really interesting historically, what happened is that uh, Rome marched on Jerusalem and basically besieged the city, which means they surrounded the city. They wouldn't allow anybody to go in and out. And it's a way of essentially starving the people that you're about to attack, right? Because they can't go, they can't leave, supplies can't get into the city, um, travelers can't get out of the city or into the city, et cetera, et cetera. It's, um, but what happened historically is that Rome, and you can read this again in, in uh, the Jewish Wars by Josephus, um, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem, and then they actually went back to Rome. And they went back to Rome because there was a civil uprising in Rome that they needed their army back there for. They squashed C- the uprising. Caesar, pretty- Caesar died. Caesar died. That's exactly yeah. right. And uh, it was actually Nero who had yeah. passed away. Um, and, uh, the next, uh, the next emperor came, which is, that gets into the whole little horns. And, and uh, all kinds well, of yeah. And, and it was the, it was the general who was in charge of the, uh, of the invasion of, of Jerusalem that had to go back that's to exactly right. make his claim Becomes, for the throne. Yeah, that's right. 
And so, um, and so what happened there historically, and again, you can read all this in Josephus, who is not a Christian, who is not a biblical author. There's no conspiracy here, but he just wrote it. And, uh, and he wrote that the, the Christians fled the city when that happened, but it was actually the Jews in the city who thought that God had answered their prayers. They saw Rome marching away and they said, see, our God is here to deliver us, right? And they would have all the Old Testament stories about one angel coming uh, when Hezekiah prayed and slaying the whole army and all that kind of stuff. So they, they thought God answered their prayers. We're here. Jerusalem will, will stand. The army left. The Christians fled to the mountains. The army came back and destroyed the city. And so the Christians weren't present in the city. They were in the barn, if we're following the, the, the parable here. They were in the barn. Um, they were being protected because they listened to the, they heeded the words of Jesus, the prophecies of Jesus, and, and followed it. And that's what preserved them at the end of the age, uh, which, which also, I mean, it lends itself to all kinds of things in Scripture. You know, the meek then inherit the earth. <laughs> it's, it's actually them. Um, this is also the, uh, um, the the people of God now being forced out of Jerusalem, much in the same way that in the book of Acts, the apostles were forced out of Jerusalem to start seeing the gospel spread to Judea and to the ends of the earth. So um, there's all kinds of um, uh, analogies here. So here's the question. If that's what this parable is about, why does that matter for us? What application can we well, draw from I, I that? I think when you when you look at who, like some, again, when we go to the answer key, uh, right, what is the field? The field is the world. Who owns the field? The, the, the farmer, the, the man who sows the seed and the man is the son of man, right? This isn't, yep. this isn't um, you know, the son of man sneaking in to sow some seed in the devil's field. This is the devil who snuck in under the watch of the the men of the son of man yep sneaking in un, uh, under their watch while they were sleeping and not doing their job uh and and sprinkling some some uh you know the weeds or the tares into uh into God's field into the into the son of man's field um so again just kind of back to a couple weeks ago when you guys were talking about the uh, the binding of the strong man okay this this isn't um you know this isn't us tr- you know in guerrilla warfare in satan's world, world. trying yep. to you know scrape and claw for every every little bit of wheat that we can throw in the barn this is god's field full of wheat yeah um uh that yeah it, it's got it's got weeds and, there, and there's always going to be weeds um but it's, uh, you know, I, I think the, um, the, the, you know, the warning here is, is not to be, not, not to be like those men who were sleeping while the evil one walked in and, yep. you know, sowed his seed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say you got to make sure, first thing you got to do is got to make sure you're wheat and not darnel, right? Make sure you truly know Christ yep. so that you know you're, you're in, so to speak, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you do the way cultivating holiness and, and obedience, and we see that in this in this passage because you cultivate obedience and holiness by trusting God's promise more than what you see in the world around you. Amen. And if you look back in, at the time in 70 AD with the Christians at that point, what Jesus is talking about here is the idea that it would have looked like victory to the Jews when Rome's armies went back. If, you, if they just trusted that, what they saw with their own eyes, they would have stayed in Jerusalem themselves. But instead, they trusted the promise of God. They trusted what God had told them, which was flee the city 
when when you see these things happen, flee. So they trusted that. They didn't trust what their own eyes said. They trusted what God had told them to do. Right. So the application for us today is to, to not look at the world around us, to not look at the fact that our society, as we talked about earlier, would rather have sex with the earth than <laughs> with a male and a female. Right. Like our, Don't trust what we see around us to judge what the world is looking, trust the word of God to judge how the world is going to go. And I think we're going to see next week. I think we're starting to see it here that the the Bible describes the kingdom of God as a growing thing that will eventually cover the, cover the earth. Start trusting what God said, not what you see and right. judge yourself. Right. So I do, and I do think that there's some application here. So I, I agree with all that. And I do think that there's some application here. Um, again, this is prophecy that's in the Bible that was fulfilled, just like we would say that prophecy in the Old Testament about Christ that's already been fulfilled. It's not like it has no relevance for us. It gives us trust in Christ. I would say that this is prophecy that we've has now been fulfilled in our past. But I think that there are principles here that we can still, still glean tells from. It's us still what a parable. That's exactly like. right. It's still about the kingdom, and there's still principles here about the kingdom that we can glean from this. And I think one of the things, so you you both kind of said it, is that um, God owns the field. God owns the world. Right? Jesus says that the the um, uh, the field is the world. Right, it's not just Jerusalem; it's yep. the world, and so there is principles here that are going to, um, and and like you said, Chris, we'll see the tie-ins uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's God's field; it's God's world. So as Christians, we we have to stop saying things like Satan is God of this world. He was, he was cast down, he was bound up. It's not his world anymore. God owns the world. Second thing we have to remember is that there's a whole. This is a wheat field with tares in it. It's not a tear field with some weeds in it or some wheat in it, right? And I think too too often Christians um, think about um, the the remnant, right? The, the small amount that's going to be saved. And it's true that God was saving a remnant for himself throughout the Old Testament. But guess what? The era of good soil is here. God is transforming hearts through the power of the gospel and through the proclamation of his kingdom. It's his world. It's full of wheat. And there's some tears there, but the point is, it's a wheat field. Yeah, <laughs> it's a wheat field. I don't think people often remember that the only reason that there's a remnant is because of disobedience. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the people get judged. The people get, uh, you know, exiled and thrown into captivity, um, and that's why God has to preserve a remnant um, because they're disobedient yep. and they're covenant breakers. Yep. <laughs> so Absolutely. Uh, there's no reason why we should strive to be a remnant. Yep. So if, if this is a, a parable about the kingdom and I think John Calvin actually talked about how the kingdom of God and the church are kind of synonymous, right? That because the kingdom of God is comprised of the church and the, the expansion of the kingdom of God is the job of the church. And so John Calvin equates the kingdom of God with the church um, so we, there's also some parallels we can draw here in that in our churches, you know, which are predominantly wheat fields, there are tares. And I think one of the principles that we do learn, learn here isn't that we don't call tares tares, but the recognition that the tares get rooted up in the midst of, um, difficult circumstances, right? Just like in the really difficult circumstance, the great tribulation of 70 AD, it was those who said they followed God, 
but hadn't had genuine faith in the Messiah of God who are swept away in judgment. I think that this goes back to the last parable, the tares or that third kind of soil who look like Christians, right? The, the, the first century Jews and the first century Christians looked very similar just looking at them from the outside, um, but internally they were completely different. And so I think the other thing that this is saying is that as they grow up beside one another, difficulties from the world are going to come in and they are going to prove, they're going to prove the difference between a wheat and a tear. And so I think this is also a promise of God showing us that he is going to keep his church pure, that there will be things that come in, generally really difficult circumstances in the lives of churches and believers and nations and families that will prove what the difference is between saving faith and inauthentic faith. And I think that that's actually a, a great grace of God that we see in this parable as well. Yeah, I, I think, again, it's, it's a case of using using this as an argument for not engaging with you know the quote-unquote wolf um right i i just don't think that's here right uh not applicable (laughs) right there's there's a difference between me going into my congregation that like you said is a wheat field with some tares in it and trying to root out all the tares and you know do whatever i need to do to to discover who they are and kick them out of my church um, cause likely that's going to come at the expense of a lot of my wheat. There's a difference between doing that and, and, um, defending the wheat that you have against someone else who's trying to come and pull up your wheat. Right. right? There's a, there, there, it, so I, I just, that's not, that's not here in this parable. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So take away from this parable and helping you engage culture. The world belongs to Jesus. Jesus is cultivating a wheat field, and though there are tares in it, it's a wheat field, baby. <laughs> there are, there's more there's more wheat than there is tares. It belongs to Jesus, and uh, and He is the one who's going to purify His kingdom. It's a wheat field, baby. Is the line? <laughs> is the line. That's what this episode will that's be called. What we're gonna put there on that for you. So that's good. All Hope right. you guys enjoyed it. If you yeah, did we have, like it, we have a couple more parables that we're doing in uh, the next couple of weeks. I want you to come here because um, the the hidden treasure and the par- pearl of great value, I think, are super misunderstood as well. And then we're gonna get into. Are there um, any parables that people understand, Nate? Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's some. Um, there, there are no, misconceptions. No, yeah, there are misconceptions about. Uh, a lot of them it seems but uh, hopefully uh, we're helping you think clearly and if you have any questions uh, get in touch with us we'd love interacting yeah if you if there's a specific parable you guys would like us to talk about as well um, feel free to throw that on the on the um, I guess the comments of this one because you know we have an idea of which which ones we want to talk about but if there's one you guys specifically want us to talk about we can maybe either tie it in or do a whole episode on it Um, so let us know as always like share us on Facebook follow the blogs that Ben and Andrew do and Erica and Grant also check us out on some of the video series on some of the video teaching that we do as well on Fridays and on uh, some other dates as well and thanks again for Ben coming out and joining us in studio for for a bit I'm sure we'll have you back at some point maybe we'll see (laughs) once you get a good nickname we can have you back (laughs) yeah Yeah. alright see you next week (laughs) 